Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dragon's Library. For the first time in a while, I find myself with a bit of opening in my schedule. See, I was going to review Bob's Burgers, but then I remember I kind of already have that Jurassic Park wor World movie, and I kind of want to rip it to shreds when it comes out, because I th feel like it's going to be cathartic. I'm going to hate it, I'm going to hate myself, but it'll be cathartic to rip it apart. So I don't want to put into a movie just yet. Bob's Burgers is going to be next week, probably next Thursday. And Swan Song, Vampire the Masquerade, Swan Song, the video game I'm currently streaming, uh, check me on YouTube and Twitch, please mind stream issues, <laughs> uh, is currently not yet ready. I'm going to try and finish it tonight, even if I have to plow through it for longer than I usually stream. So it left me with a bit of conundrum. And I decided, well, I haven't retro-reviewed in a while. You know, going back to something that really impacted me and checked it out. Now... I had a lot of things to look at for this, because I have a pretty extensive library of uh, take-your-pick movies, video games, books, everything, essentially. I really enjoyed picking things out of the bargain bin, especially at things like play, places like Play and Trade uh, when I was in college. So whatever spare money I had for that usually went to like the $5, $10 game bucket. And Play and Trade had really good use prices, so um, my PS4 collection in particular is pretty large. And I decided, yeah, let's go find something to review. And after stopping for a few things that I want to review at different times, for example, look forward to this Halloween, because I'll be able to indulge my tra transition of Bloodborne the month. So look forward to that. But that meant I couldn't review Bloodborne. And I don't really feel like reviewing a few other things because of reasons I'll get into when I eventually talk about them. And then I found Shadow of the Colossus. Now, Shadow of the Colossus, which, by the way, is what we're reviewing today, is... Sort of an oddity for me, personally, because, see, for those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't watch the show regularly, I have a few gamer friends, but they mostly play different genres than me, and, uh, well, several of them have played, like, Shadow of the Colossus, I believe. Most of them haven't. In addition, my family is not what you would call video game inclined i.e. the closest thing I have to fellow video game players in my family is a brother who plays Call of Duty, and that's about it, um, and <laughs> cousins who are slightly worse and slightly better, but mostly fall within that range. Yes, basically everyone who plays video games in my family has trash taste. Now, my brother does have good taste on occasion. He likes the, the Spider-Man game by Insomniac, so yeah, he can like a good video game, but for the most part, he has fairly basic uh, likes. And as a result, I don't really get to talk about things like this. Because Shadow of the Colossus, while it might seem um, ubiquitous to those of you who are in the video gamer space, I know I have people who don't know what freaking Portal is in my family, okay? And if any of you are watching that mostly focus on me for movies or TV show or book reviews and don't play a lot of video games, you might be like, what Shadow of the Colossus? And it's honestly one of the best video games of all time. I think it definitely deserves that that title. At its core, Shadow of the Colossus is extremely basis, though the story actually gains a lot more depth that I'll get into later. Here's the rundown. You come to a mysterious land with a weird, almost Japanese-sounding made-up language, and you're carrying your dead girlfriend on a horse. Yep. Girlfriend's already dead. We're just getting started. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, basically, you are the protagonist named Wander. 
He's come to this land because it is the Forbidden Lands, where a sealed demon ring uh, is sealed away at. And he begs the demon to resurrect his wife, girlfriend, it's a little unclear. Her name's Mono, she's a girl, you loved her, and yeah. Anyway, uh, the voice tells him that he would love to do that, but first, Wander needs to go kill these giant colossi. And if he does it, Wander will uh, have his girlfriend restored to life. So basically, Wander is told there are 16 colossi, he needs to kill them all, and if he does so, the demon, whose name is Dorman, will revive his uh, beloved Mono. And so you set off into the world. And you might be thinking, okay, here's some standard combat, and then we're going to go find a boss, and then rinse and repeat, right? No. Star of the Colossus is a very atmospheric game. And I mean that in almost literal sense. It's essentially a boss rush, or, or basically a game whose entire gameplay is a series of boss fights. For those of you who are, like I said, not being even inclined. Um... And what's really interesting is that it's not as direct about it. Like, you'll have other games where it's literally just boss, sit, waiting area, boss. But this isn't that either. See, in the Shadow of the Colossus, you have a horse and a few different traversal items. And you have to find the Colossi. So it's part, like, environmental travel puzzle. You have this giant overworld. Um, and when you raise your sword in the air, it'll point a light towards the next Colossi. Uh, when you, as you get closer, the beams of light sort of form in on themselves to get a powerful beam that shows you're close to a colossi. Uh, and you have to basically follow this to your next target. When you get there, the colossi are massive creatures that they've done a wonderful job of animating, and you have to climb up on them, grabbing it like hair or latching onto giant pieces of rock or armor or pieces of bits of them. And all the colossi are different. They range from giant humanoid-looking things to spiders to some. Spiders the size of castles to a creature that looks more like a bull and is only a little bit bigger than you. Um, to giant flying, flying serpents who are, whose bodies, uh, could probably loop around multiple cities multiple times. Like, these things get huge. And as you fight them, you slow, you slowly feel almost bad for them. Like, they're not bothering anybody. They're these giant lumbering creatures who apparently are sealing away someone who really should not be unsealed because there are brief cutaways at the beginning to this uh, shaman named Iman, who is trying to stop Wander from doing something really, really stupid. But he doesn't succeed. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the ending, really. I mean, I guess I could. This is like, this game came out originally on the PS2, to give you a hint of how old this thing is. Which means it came out in the early 2000s, specifically 2005. Uh, it is a really, really old game. But it was remade for the PS4, and that's where I played it. And I think the story is worth experiencing for yourself because it's this very subtle presence for most of it that's told a very little. Like, there's very little dialogue here. This is a game that adheres to a lot of gaming's roots. Back when text boxes and things like that were, uh, you know, an investment in your game, like adding a giant paragraph of text was like saying, I might not have a few more rooms on my level because that was memory storage back then on like the NES. And it's kind of faithful to that in that there's not a lot of dialogue. There's, there's the opening spiel from. Um, Dorman, there's a few cutscenes at the beginning, and then it's just kind of Wander goes off, there's a cutscene whenever he runs into a Colossus, but there really aren't any words spoken until the very end. But still, you can see Wander's downfall through the environmental and uh, character storytelling, 
And quite frankly, this game just looks gorgeous. Like, I've seen screenshots from the PS2 that still look really good, but oh my, it looks great on the PS4. Fantastic. Mwah, breathtaking. The Colossi lumbering around with such detail is just great. Even after all this time, I went back to it recently, which is why part of the reason why I'm talking about it. And it's just, there's this sense of atmosphere to this decayed, empty land sealed away from the rest of the world. This empty landscape where you can just ride for an hour and not find anything. These giant lumbering monstrosities that seem to hint at something that you just can't quite reach. And the very clear implication that Wander is, at first, seeming like a hero trying to rescue his love, and then eventually being like, uh, yeah, he's unleashing a demon. Something that was sealed away by some ancient civilization that a lot of people are willing to do literally anything to stop. I don't think we're the good guys. <laughs> um, this is basically the closest you can see to something that's still considered a good video game, but it's also often regarded as, like, a clear example of video games as art. Uh, it's sending a message about hubris about the folly of pride like this is a very like mythologized kind of story like this feels like something out of Greek or Japanese mythology almost uh the creator the lead director anyway is Fumito Ueda uh she did Aiko which was another kind of more arty game uh and might technically be a sequel like Child of Class might be a prequel to Aiko but I'm not gonna get into all that all in all, though, yeah, it's a fantastic game with a great core concept. Stabbing up the giants and trying to climb them feels like a mixture of boss fight and puzzle. Simultaneously, something you need to take your time with, but also something that you feel a sense of urgency for during different areas. Um, not all the class are created equal. There are at least, like, two or three who are like, eh. The bull one in particular can be really annoying at times, uh, as can the freaking water one, because swimming is a pain. But aside from those, and most of those come from experimental and interesting designs at the very minimum, yeah, all the Colossi are, aside from like one or two mix-ups, out of 16, there's a lot of really good stuff. The giant flying serpent is definitely the high point here, though, I will say. So yeah, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, 10 out of 10, one of the best games ever made, a game that personally, uh, even though I found it later, I only played it in like college, but it still resonated with me very, very intensely and quite frankly i think this is still a game that most people should just play like most ps4 games are compatible with ps5 so if you have a ps5 if you have a ps4 if you have a ps3 if you have a ps2 this thing is available if you own a playstation now yes it is a bit of a suck it's a bit of a pain that it has not been ported off piece uh, off playstation but let's be real it is a ps2 game there are emulators for it I'm not saying you should if you have access to a PlayStation, because quite frankly, it's a used game. If you have access to a PS4, or PS3, or PS2, just find the game. Um, but if you don't have access to those, and I know some people don't, nobody's going to get mad if you just find an emulated version. Come on. We all do it sometimes. Well, I've only done it like once or twice. But, you know, it's it's okay. This is a cultural touchstone, though, and I really think more people should play it, quite frankly. Really good game, fantastic scenery, good overarching storytelling, great design, great gameplay. 10 out of 10 game right here. Okay, so usually this would be like the spoiler section. You know, I gave my 10 out of 10, said it's amazing. 
But there's really not much more to spoil here, so I'm kind of just gonna go over some of the ways the story develops that I didn't want to spoil there, and then talk a bit more about some of the more in-depth colossi that I thought were fun. Uh, so yeah, let's get into that. Okay, so Wander starts killing the Colossi, you know, because he was told by a, you know, mysterious evil voice in a temple that's clearly meant to seal it away to go kill these things that are keeping him in there. So he can resurrect his girlfriend, obviously. But every time you kill a Colossi, these dark threads of shadow erupt from their decaying corpse and fly into Wander, who immediately doubles over, passes out, and wakes up with growing dark veins corrupting his body. After, like, the tenth Colossi, your body literally starts to turn, like, pale and dark. And after you kill the sixteenth one, which is a giant, like, Empire State-sized building one that's firing fireballs at you as you approach, uh, which is a really intense fight. Although, if you fall off that thing, get ready for, like, an entire hour of gameplay. Because <laughs> it is a long climb. But, yeah. After the 16th Colossi, he's basically this, like, gray, corrupted... He's a demon. He's he's becoming dormant. Dormant is possessing him for a physical form. Um, and after you do that, you have to try and, you know, free him entirely. But as you do so, the shaman who is chasing you, Lord Iman, uh, who put your girlfriend to death because she had an evil destiny, apparently. At least that's what I read on Wikipedia, but that's not really clear in the gameplay. Uh, appears with a few other guards and attacks Wander. Wander begins to unleash Dorman's power, but, and in a last-ditch effort to stop you, preventing Dorman from being released, uh, the shaman apparently activates some kind of hidden defense ability as they flee, throwing an idol into a pond. This activates some sort of magical last-resort defense and causes um, the now-possessed and complete, the now-completely-possessed Wander, now, you know, essentially dormant, to be sucked in. And, yeah, the temple bridge collapses, sealing off this world, the this, you know, cursed land from the rest of the world, and Wander is consumed by the light, dragged in there. You actually play this last bit. It's a very interesting part of uh, interactive storytelling, because you actually play Wander as he's being assaulted by Iman and the rest, and as Dorman possesses him and turns him into like shadow monster and he tries to claw his way, and you can actually claw for a really decent amount, especially if you're on like New Game Plus or New Game Plus Plus and you've gotten a lot of the extra stamina upgrades, you can hold on for a long time, but eventually it will get you, uh, because you're not, this is a supposed to lose fight at the end. However, uh, the story ends, and your horse, who is believed to have fallen off a cliff, survives, and guess what? Your girlfriend wakes up. Because it turns out, Dorman, despite being kind, you know, an evil, corrupted demon who may or may not have been trying to destroy the world, kept his word. He revived your girlfriend. However, your horse, Agro, who's been you know, your constant companion, shows up, and she's like, oh no, where's, where's Wander? And she turns back to the pool, which is now a crater, only to find a baby with horns, which is probably the protagonist from Igo, which means uh, Wander's girlfriend will be corrupted by evil powers and become the evil queen you fight against. Because Team Igo apparently wanted their two first two projects to connect to each other, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of hints this world had connections to Igo, from what I've heard. I've never personally played Igo at all. Uh, that was just not something I ever wanted to play, really. I just heard mixed things about it, and it was like, eh, I'll get around to it eventually, just never did. 
the presentation here is just so fantastic, though. Like, the final scenes are really impactful. Like, that moment of her, there's no dialogue from her, but you really get the sense of loss as she picks up this infant that reminds her of her boyfriend in the sense that she may or may not know what happens. And then thinking about what happens to her Nyko, even though I haven't played it, the idea that the, her loneliness will corrupt and degrade her, that maybe Dorman resurrected her, but even if even if he had allowed Wanderer to take her away, that she was corrupted. Uh, that in trying, and this horrible thing with Iman, because apparently, from what I've read online, the official story is that uh, Mano was supposed to have a terrible fate, like she was supposed to become an evil tyrant or something. And Wander's uh, leader, the leader of his village, Lord Iman, that shaman, put them to death, you know, put her to death because she had this fate. But in doing so, they caused Wander to bring her to this world where she was resurrected by Dorman, which is highly implied to have corrupted her, which sort of shows that when you try and beat prophecies, like, okay, there's one thing I've really, really always wondered. So, you know how in, uh, like, ancient worlds where you have, like, oracles, people are always like, the oracle has told me that I, that if I do not change my ways, a hero will rise up and defeat me. But I'm pretty sure if I know who the hero is, so I'll just kill his mom. And it's like, Dude, it's an oracle. It is a prophecy of your doom. The way you beat it is by trying to be a better person so nobody wants to murder you. Like, I I have always wondered what the hell is going through evil king's heads when they're like, yes, someone shall rise up and defeat you, or an evil lord will rise here. And then they always, always end up doing the exact thing that lets the prophecy come to pass. Voldemort gives Harry the mark, which gives him a connection, which allows him to kill him permanently. You've got, like, oh my, what what else? You've got uh, Odin. Odin in Norse mythology. He threw all of Loki, Loki's kids in various prisons, chained up Fenrir, threw Jormungandr into the sea, and banished Hell to uh, Helheim. But in the end, he gave them the very powers they needed to make Ragnarok prophecy, the Ragnarok prophecies come true. Like, am I going insane here? Does everyone who hears a prophecy of their doom just lose their ability to think rationally about every other myth or legend or even rumor of prophecies? Like, there are other prophecies in a lot of these worlds. Most worlds with one prophecy have other prophecies. Because if prophet is a thing, they have multiple of them. They have to have examples of people who try to fend off prophecies. It never works. Literally, it never works. Even if you somehow manage to destroy a prophecy, usually the oracle just spits out a new one that's even worse. Like, I feel like I'm on like crazy pills at this point. Like, it's like, writers, please be a bit more self-aware. I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming this game for that. I want to make that very clear. This is a personal thing I'm doing to kind of draw out the runtime. Run but for me personally, whenever I hear that uh, uh, someone is trying to forestall a prophecy of their doom, in any medium, I just like look at them and I'm like, "Do you not know how prophecies work? Like, do do you not understand the mythological, historical, or in your world way that prophecies work? Because if you have one, you probably have more. It it's just this like glaring issue. The more I read and watch and play stuff, it's like, guys, I know it's a bummer that you heard your kid's gonna kill you." Have you considered being nice to them and trying not to have them, 
give them a reason to kill you. It's like the first thing these evil kings do is like, oh yes, my own my my uh, sister's son will rise up and murder me. Well, I'm gonna throw her and her unborn child into a box and throw it out to sea. It's like that will never come back to harm me. It's like, dude, either kill him and be the evil dick we all know, or or try being nice because. If you do what you just did, you're basically guaranteeing the prophecy will come true. Oh, God. It, it drives me insane times. Oh, I do really love how you can basically get this out of a story that has, like, what, 20 lines of dialogue that aren't Zelda-style, mm, mm, ah, grunts. Like, it's just like... Wow, this is a very rich world with a lot of lore and a lot of hidden stuff to it. And there's, like, no dialogue. Amazing. Uh, it's part of the reason why I like things like Bloodborne and Dark Souls too. It's almost... I've always loved that feeling of, like, piecing together a world from your experiences in the world rather than having everything just blurted out to you. So, yeah. All in all, turns out Shadow of the Colossus is a really good game. Uh... Anyone who's ever heard of this game probably will not be surprised. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed this retro review. Uh, I'm probably going to be doing a few more things like this in the future. I want to do at least one book, movie, or show. Kind of a retro thing. Uh, I've got a few weird shows, actually, to talk about. One day, one of these days, I'm going to talk about Tower Prep and how its season one cliffhanger is going to drive me insane until the rest of my days. God, I wish I could get on the season two of that. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that eventually. As for next, as for the rest of this week, we've got the Jurassic Park, or Jurassic World third movie. I forget the name off the top of my head because it's really just a movie I want to shit on. Uh, next week on Tuesday, we're going to be doing a review of Mas Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song because that should be done with my stream. And on Thursday of next week, I will hopefully be doing, uh, the review of that Bob's Burger movie. So, Hey, looks like it's going to be a fun next week and a half. Or fun next week and this week is kind of going to suck. See you guys next time. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library two. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. And as always, thank you so much for all your support.